Hi, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. We're heading on a pilgrimage to Omaha this week. The Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting is this Saturday, May 4th. It's the first Saturday in May. So the first Saturday in May equals Mr. Warren Buffett. So this week on the podcast, we have an interview with someone who knows Mr. Buffett personally. It seemed appropriate to lead into Berkshire Hathaway week with Mr. Buffett. Jillian Zoe Siegel not only interviewed Mr. Buffett for her beautiful book in his private office in Omaha, she also photographed him there, and she is now friendly with him and with Charlie Munger. So she's got some stories, and I got to talk with her about them, about her experiences interviewing Mr. Buffett, and especially about how he and the other people she talked to dealt with failure and the ups and downs as they grappled with reaching success. Next week, we're going to have stories from our Berkshire Hathaway weekend, everything that happened behind the scenes. I'm excited. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. I'm so lucky today to be here with Jillian Zoe Siegel, who wrote the book Getting There, which came out a couple of years ago and is still making waves. I keep mentioning it to people and they go, oh, yeah, I have that book on my shelf. It's that orange one, right? And I say, yes, indeed. So Jillian is the author of two books. The first one's called New York Characters, and the second one's called Getting There. She is a non-practicing lawyer like me, so of course we're friends, and, uh, and is also an amazing photographer, and she took all the photos in the book Getting There as well. Getting There is a compilation of essays written by a number of luminaries, and one of them is Warren Buffett, and so we're going to talk about that and everybody else she spoke to. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to chat with you. So I want to get in, first of all, and just directly go straight to the point for our podcast, which is, you talked to Warren Buffett. I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> I cannot, actually. So how did you, what's the story? How did you first even imagine speaking to Warren Buffett for this book? And then how did you actually get to talk to him? Um, so, so in getting there, I interviewed 30 people who are at the top of their fields in a broad range of fields. So when I thought about the investing world, I thought, who's at the top? Warren Buffett. And of mm-hmm. course, I wanted him to get in the book. Um, but that was kind of a hard feat because in order for someone to be included in the book, I had to photograph them and interview them. And that's kind of a lot to ask. Um, hmm. Because it takes time. It takes time, yes. And I these had people t- don't have a lot of time. Exactly. And I don't have a big name. I didn't have a big name. It wasn't like Oprah Winfrey wants to yeah. come interview you. It was like, who? So um, so that was that was really hard. And it took five years for me to get um, everybody in it the book. It took five years. It took five years of me... You know, knocking on people's doors, wow. uh, metaphorically. <laughs> um, and Warren Buffett, I had the opportunity to go to a, a charity lunch that he was going to be at. And <clears throat> I had in my mind, m- 
you know, I've got to find a way to approach him and ask him to be in my book because I had already sent the request into his office <clears throat> and been rejected. Um, they said, no, he's not interested in participating. So I thought, all right, maybe I'll ask again in person. Um, and I went to this lunch and there was really no opportunity for me to be alone with him and ask him. Um, and he was about to leave the lunch. But before he left, everybody got to take a group photo with him. Hmm. And I just thought, okay, now or never. So we stood and took a group photo. And as we were all, you know, disbanding to, to go back to our seats and he was about to leave, I went right up to him, right in his ear. <laughs> and it was kind of one of those times where you almost like, don't remember what you said after you said it because you were so nervous. <laughs> but I basically said, I'd love to include you in a in a book that I'm working on. And, you know, and he said, oh, how long is it going to take? And I know that's what he <laughs> said to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like straight up. <clears throat> yeah, straight up. And I said, that's... 10 minutes. It'll take just 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Meanwhile, it had took no less than 45 minutes for anybody else but I figured I'll take what I could get and 10 minutes doesn't seem that much to ask so he said you know um send the request into my office tomorrow call my office and um and we can set something up so I called his office the next day and his faithful secretary Debbie famous secretary yes um she she blocked me. She said, you know, <laughs> he might say something to somebody in person, but I have heard nothing about this and I can't schedule anything. And that would stop me in my tracks, I think. Yeah. I thought, oh no, what am I going to do now? And it was probably true. I had him on the spot. You know, <laughs> he's trying to get away from me and he said, call my office. Um, so I used my entire legal education to write a good <laughs> essay that's what it's good for right. not an essay a good a good email um and and you know putting putting my request in writing and I sent it and said could you run this by him and it was like I just met with you yesterday uh I'd love to anyway he finally said so wait so you you sent her another email and said can you just run this by him yes I, I put it in writing and and said, here's here's what happened. Because I was trying to explain to her. I just was with him yesterday yeah. at this lunch. And yeah. she said, you know, he might have just said something to get rid of you. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I heard back that he said, okay, you could have 10 wow. or 15 minutes. Wow. Um, so I flew all the way to Omaha uh, from New York for my 10 minutes with him. And... He also tried not to have me photograph him. He said, really? he said, you know, people always say it's not going to take time and it takes a lot of time. Could you just use some other picture? But the thing in my book is that I took all the pictures and yeah. it would be weird if I used another someone else's picture for him. So I said, I, I wrote him back in an email and said, I promise um, it will not. I'm going to take your picture, but it will not e eat into my allotted 10 to 15 minutes. And then I joked, even if it ends up being a picture of you running away from me. <laughs> I bet he loved that. <laughs> so I ended up like showing up there and I pretty much 
had the cam my camera on my eye as I walked towards him because I said, I know you're really pressed for time, so I'm going to make this as quick as possible. And he said, oh, don't worry. I have loads of time. No way. Um, so we ended up spending uh, an hour together. No way. Um, and I got a great interview with him. So you'll, wow. You'll, it's pretty long. You could see in the book. It is. It's It's extensive. And the photograph is really good. I mean, it's just very raw that photo thank you um i took just a few pictures of him and i think i got really lucky but i did show up at his office an hour before he he showed up and planned it all out so i closed certain blinds you know it was like Hmm. he just had to step into the picture Hmm. um so there was a lot of planning but then it was a very quick photo shoot and debbie now tells me that i ruined it for every other photographer because when they say they need (laughs) you know, a half an hour to photograph him. She she says, no, Jillian took a great one in a couple minutes. <laughs> After an hour so of setting it up. Was, it was a lot of luck, though. But yes, a lot of setup it and a lot of luck. It doesn't sound like that much luck, Jillian, to be honest. I mean, I think you're pretty amazing at getting in past nose. And you've done that with multiple people. Well, it's a, a lot of persistence. Um, and, and you have to... Um, Maybe have something wrong with you mentally. <laughs> you just don't hear the nose. <laughs> don't behave that way socially. Yeah. <laughs> so when you came into his office and had the camera up to your eye and took the photo. And by the way, you guys look at the photo in the book because it has it's one thing I love about it is it shows his too hard box. Yes. Which we've talked about so many times on this podcast. I'm flipping to it now because I love this photo. Um it's just like right there. Now, this is why I love this picture so much is it's just got everything in it. And it's so real with his messy desk and his two hard box right there. Um, there aren't a lot of photos of him like this. It's really cool. Yeah, because I think I don't know. I got lucky that I got to come into his office. Most of them aren't really there is there is um actually one of my favorite things is. Uh, I sent him my first book, New York Characters, and Annie Leibovitz, um, the famous the photographer, photographer, photographed him for Vanity Fair oh, wow. in his office. Oh. Um, and he is sitting behind his desk, and on his desk, front and center, is my book, New York Characters. In her photo? In her photo in Vanity Fair, cool. which is like one of my favorite things. Yeah. That's, seeing, that, seeing my book there... And seeing my book um, on someone's toilet seat are the two <laughs> favorite spotted <laughs> sightings I've had. So you came in and you took the photo. And then how did you structure these essays with him? You said you did an interview for about an hour. Yes. Yeah, so with everyone, um, I interviewed them and I would go as long as they'd let me. You know, I'd ask as many questions and mm-hmm. I'd end up with like, a 20 page transcript of the interview. And then I cut anything that I thought could be cut and changed the order around. And then I made it almost, you know, into like a speech. Um, So Hmm. it reads in a much more organized fashion. So you kind of rewrote it for them. I completely rewrote it. I could have started with something we talked about in the middle and consolidated the themes and everything and then I sent it back to each person for their approval Hmm. and said you can add change delete are you happy with this Hmm. Um, and everybody 
you know, I, I really had to change very little, which was great. So um, everybody approved it who's in the book. And um, and that's how they came about. Did you have anybody after you interviewed them just say, oh, no, I changed my mind completely? One person. Really? <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. I, I won't ask who. <laughs> you could. I don't I don't know why. Kelly Ripa. Kelly Ripa? Yeah. No. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. I don't I still don't know why. She just decided she didn't want to do it. How strange. I would think for Kelly Ripa it would be a very big deal to be in the company of these other people in this book. I mean, Bloomberg. Buffett, I took her David photo Boys, and did the whole interview. Marina Abramovic. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, she was. She was in it. Interesting. What a crazy ride to do yeah. this with all these people. <laughs> so I was really struck in Buffett's essay that he really didn't talk about investing at all. He talked about personal stuff. He talked about his emotional development. He talked about um, lessons he learned through his life. Was that because you didn't really ask him about investing or was that what he naturally gravitated towards talking about? Um I think a little of both. I mm. think if you go to his meetings like you do, mm -hmm. uh, you see that a lot of it is sort of lessons, you know, on life in general. Um, and I think that a lot of the things don't seem like they're about investing, but they kind of are. Um, it's kind of a lot of, a lot of the things he talks about, uh, are sort of the what made him into the person he is. And I think if he wasn't the person he is, he wouldn't have managers of companies, you know, wanting to please him as much as everybody does. That is a great point. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. He's completely. so respected. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes both ways. And he attracts wonderful people. He because attracts they wonderful want to people. Work for him. I mean, I think so many of the people who work for him, who run his various companies, never thought they would work for anybody else. You know, they're the CEOs of major companies. Exactly. But for him, they're willing to, they're willing to work for him. Mm -hmm. And he does, he, he talks, I guess, about values. Um, and, and that goes in, I think a lot of times, I mean, this, it's almost a cliche, but you're, you're investing in people. Absolutely. Um, so he sort of, I think, looks for people who have similar values hmm. to to what he does. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I It's something actually I've been noticing a lot as I've been learning this investing stuff and continuing how much it matters, the people that we're investing in. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see it a lot on Wall Street that people are talking about that. It's very like numbers oriented and, you know what's the stock price today and that kind of stuff. And I just really shy away from that, which is what kept me from learning investing for most of my life. Mm -hmm. But having learned now that there's actually an incredible investor out there who does look at people and think it's really important. It just drew me so much into Buffett and the whole, his whole value investing uh, world, his amazing community that he's yeah. created. And he attracts the people who go to his meeting, you know, in large part, are good people. Yeah. I've been blown away by how much I like the people yeah. who go to these value investing things. To Munger's meeting, I've met amazing people. Buffett's meeting at various conferences. And I mean, even we met through an investor friend. Yes. So 
you know, just it's just like one person after another. I feel so lucky to be in this world now. Yeah, he he's a great role model and Charlie Munger is a great role model yeah. and have people, you met Charlie Munger? I have. I have in Omaha. <laughs> he's he's amazing. Um do you now and, kind of go and like live in the world of Buffett and Munger as Omaha? much as I can? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm definitely a a groupie, a follower. <laughs> and have they gotten you to start investing? Um a little. I my daughter, my daughter does. Oh, cool. With like my me. funding. So <laughs> that's good. That's the best way to start. Yeah. <laughs> With somebody else's money. That's yes, perfect. exactly. It, it takes that in little her name like, in her name. Yes. <laughs> um, so other people in your book and Buffett, actually, I noticed, talked a lot about like hardships they went through and struggles they had. It wasn't a clear rise to the top for anybody. And Buffett in particular talked about mistakes he had made. What Mis- what stories about mistakes or learnings about mistakes did you take from talking to all these different people from Buffett or from anybody? Um, I guess, you know, what I took when I first started doing this book, I thought, okay, let me find people who have a good story. And I quickly realized I just need to find people who I admire because everyone has a good story because mm. everybody makes mistakes. Nobody you know, succeeds at everything. Um, So basically, like, you pick a person and they've got some good stories to tell you. And that's so important to know when you're starting out and when you're, uh, you know, on your path and you encounter an obstacle to just know that this is just part of it. Everybody does. Mm. And how am I going to react to this is what separates the people who end up succeeding and the people who end up not succeeding. Um, and Buffett basically says he's made a lot of um, acts of omission. Yeah. Which yeah. is basically he's known about a company, he's known everything, and he's decided not to invest. And had he invested, it would have been a tremendous success. But with everything in life, it you're gonna you're gonna just bring yourself down if you harp on all the things you could have done and you didn't do or you did wrong. Just look at your successes. So Warren Buffett is the most successful investor in history, and we look at the things he's done right. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. we don't harp on the things he does wrong. Um, my book, get getting there. I'm so happy with all the people who said yes, but there's like. So many who said no, who hmm. aren't who aren't in it, who I who I reached out to and they, you know, I, I never got them. But but I got so many good ones. And that's how every single thing is in life. Just like focus on on the successes, not yeah. the no's. It's funny that you bring that up, because actually just in the last few episodes, my dad and I were discussing mistakes of omission because Charlie Munger in his Daily Journal meeting uh, in February said I think twice, like enough that I remembered it, said that there was some investment in the 70s that he did not make. And if he had made it, he would have doubled his net worth by now. Yeah. And he brought this up in 2019, clearly still thinking about this investment that he missed. Like it just like rankles at him. Maybe not that much, but enough to bring it up 40 years later. Yeah. 
And I just was thinking about that so much. And like, how do you deal with that as an investor? So I said this to my dad and he said, uh, you know, I bet it's because the price never got to where they wanted it to be. Like Mm -hmm. it was probably just a little too expensive. So they didn't go for it. And, and you just kind of have to have that discipline as an investor. And sometimes you're wrong. And sometimes you're wrong. But who isn't? (laughs) Even Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are. So that should make everybody listening to this feel okay. Exactly. So who else talked about certain pieces of advice or failures they went through that you remember? Um, Everyone. Everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Yeah, that's the thing. Everyone. It wasn't easy for anybody Mm. in in my book. So... um, the the guy who started Stonyfield Farms, mm. which is like um, like organic, organic dairy products, dairy products, took nine years for him to make his first nickel. Like they they just couldn't get it going. Um, Frank Gehry, the architect, mm-hmm. was on the verge of bankruptcy for years. Wow. Sarah Blakely, who's a billionaire and founded Spanx, um, she worked for like a company that sold fax machines door to door for I think eight years uh I mean I could go on and on you name a person and I could tell you about how how they struggled and failed and yeah you know what I always think about when I (laughs) this is so like such an obnoxious thing to say so I apologize in advance I always think about these people who are so successful and they're looking back on all the struggles they went through and how it eventually worked out for them and I always think about the people who go through all the struggles and it doesn't work out yeah me too (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if I have a question in here like how do we as as we are the people go what's the question what's the question it might kind of be like not every idea is a good one. And sometimes, you, you know, you should give up and switch. Yeah. Pivot. Well, like, for example, the people that you asked to be in the book and they said no. And at some point you accepted it graciously and moved on. Yeah, that's because the curtain closed and the book came out. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I had no choice. Yeah, they're like, we're publishing this. Stop trying. <laughs> Time ran out. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I always think, you know, I went through a lot of tough, like, health problems and sort of crisis of like what to do with my life when I was working at a big law firm and 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 my dad at some point this is before I started investing my dad at point some point said to me you are banging your head against a brick wall and it's because you forgot what it feels like to not do that anymore Mm -hmm. and and I kind of said to him or thought to myself no I'm working hard and pushing for something that I want and this is what it feels like to keep going through hardship you know did anybody talk about how you tell the difference between when something is just hard and you should keep going versus when something is hard and it's a sign that you should turn around and pivot I think that is like an amazing question (laughs) and a really hard one to answer yeah it's really hard right Yes, because on one hand, people always say, you know, the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people are the ones who got off the road and, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but then again, 
you have to listen to the world around you. And like I said, not every idea is a good idea. Um, and maybe you should pursue something else or take a hint or so I think you have to really just keep your eyes open um, and try I think it all comes down to your personal monitor like do you are you the the type of person who gets it or not and and just for example if you're asking somebody out on a date you know, they might be playing a little hard to get or they might just be not interested and you've got to give up. True. Like, it's just not going to happen. True. And I think business is 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 like that. Um, and you need to use your monitor to know whether you need to shift direction or just get back up and try the same thing again. It's really a hard question to answer, but like in the abstract. I love the way you're saying that, your own personal monitor. Because that's right. It's that intuition. It's that feeling inside of us, um, which if we're tapped into it, then we can usually tell what's right and what's getting to be too hard. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in, in my book, Warren Buffett talks about uh, how important it is to know your strengths and weaknesses. And he says, um, knowing what to leave out is as important as knowing what to focus on. And he oh. he actually um, quotes Tom Watson, who hmm. is one of the original people at IBM, who says, I'm no genius, but I'm smart in spots and I stay around those spots. Um, and I think that... You know, knowing knowing that really, knowing your strengths and weaknesses and then honing in on what you're good at really puts you at an advantage. Yeah, it's the, it's the know thyself part yes. of life. And, yes. it, and it's the circle of confidence that we talk about in investing, but, yes. but applied to our own personal skills mm -hmm. and abilities. I mean, I also noticed that a number of people you talk to and, and on this subject talked about kind of out like non-business sources of help like almost like self-helpy kind of stuff like Warren Buffett took famously a Dale Carnegie course on public speaking and he said it changed his life forever yes um there were a couple others like David Boyce who's a famous lawyer said that playing poker and bridge and making money at poker and bridge taught him more about life and human emotions than his schooling and patience yeah did those did those things just come out or did you ask about them? They just came out. Um, I mean, because I wouldn't have known to ask about them. I think while I was doing my interviews, I asked a lot of open-ended questions because if you only ask about the things you know about, you're not going to learn anything new. Um, so I definitely asked a lot of questions where I got new information that wasn't already out there on the internet. Um, but yeah, a lot of people did credit unusual things for their success. Another um, example is Sarah Blakely, who's the billionaire founder of Spanx. She um, listens to these Dr. Wayne Dyer tapes. Um, I think it's yeah. becoming a no limit person. Uh, how to be a no limit person. How to be a no limit person. And she person. mentioned they were tapes specifically. So these tapes. are old. Yeah, probably on a Sony Walkman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway... Um, oh, and one of the most interesting things, it's it's 
sort of non-business, but was how many people in the book credited um, sort of very basic jobs in sales for giving them the skills they needed for their ultimate success. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sarah now- Blakely was one of them. She worked, you know, selling fax machines door to door for eight years. And John Paul DeJoria, um, he sold dictionaries door to door. Wow. Um, that's rough. Who, Kathy Ireland, who's like, you know, has a $2 billion company where she brands products. She she sold herself door to door when she was a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model or that sounds you know, weird. Trying to get she other modeling jobs. Oh, for <laughs> well, well, herself. Basically, for modeling. she used to have to show up and um and sell herself to get the job. Like, will you hire me or not? Yeah, okay, yeah. now wh- what what's so good about doing this is that no matter what you're selling, you're going to get rejected and rejected and rejected. So whether you're selling yourself, whether you get hired for that modeling job or not, or whether someone buys your dictionaries or the fax machine, you're you're being taught to be knocked down and then stand back up. And yeah, totally, you know, if when you knock on the the 17th door of the day, um, you have to be as bright eyed and bushy tailed as you were at the first store if you're going to make a sale. You can't be like, do mm. you want to buy one of these mm. dictionaries? You have to be like, hi, I have the best thing for you to buy or whatever whatever your spiel is. Um, and I think that that teaches people to have a lot of stamina in business because no matter what you're going for, you're going to encounter hurdles and you're going to have to jump over them. And probably a little bit of what we were just talking about, that personal monitor intuition of, is this going to be a sale I can make if I keep pushing, if I keep going, or is this done and my time is better used going on to the next person? Yes. Reading people. The other thing that a job in sales teaches you is something that Warren Buffett really, um, you know, tries to express the importance of which is communication skills Mm -hmm. and that's what his Dale Carnegie public speaking course gave him and he says that if you could just improve your communication skills a little bit it's going to make a huge impact on your success Um, and when you're selling something you have to get really good at communicating if you're going to make a sale he says in your book that he thinks he would have been very successful in investing. He would have made lots of money. He would have, you know, had all the business stuff that he does probably would have still happened without that course. But without that course, he says he don't, he doesn't think he would have created the community of investors who come to Omaha every year and, and, and learn about investing. He wouldn't have been able to communicate in his really unique, extraordinary way um, that, anybody can understand what he's doing about mm-hmm. investing. He says no matter what you do, um, you're trying to get people to follow you hmm. in business. Hmm. Um, That's and, interesting to come out of an investor's mouth. And if you don't have good communication skills, it's hard to get that. Like even if you're a manager of a company and you want to get your employees or, or the people who are working underneath you to follow you, you, you have to be good at communicating. 
It's funny because I don't think about that in relationship to investing. Like I think of it and we talk about this all the time with value investing, how solitary it is. And you have to like do your own research and stand by your own opinions, blah, blah, blah. And like anybody else will muddy the waters, you know, but to hear Buffett talk about how important it is for him to be Mm -hmm. able to communicate, especially because so many people actually work for him, even though he always talks about how small his office in Omaha is, but actually thousands of people work for him. Right. In different companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just speaking to a friend who allocates money the other day and she said they, before they make an investment, actually find out how a fund manager handles his or her employees because they want to make sure they're investing in a well-run office. Uh-huh. And I thought that was fascinating. It would have never occurred to me to ask that. Yeah. But they actually care how the dynamics work. Yeah. Before they put their money in. Very interesting. Yeah. So how did the people who are in the book respond to the book once it came out? Did they know who the other essays were by? And Some of them knew because in order to rope people in I would you know send a list of of everybody who else who was in it so it depends hmm. where you know where in the five years they came in but <laughs> I definitely hey, remember that interview we did five years ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out um but I have to say I got such an amazing response from everyone who's in it and and the best comment that I got a bunch of times was Thank you so much for including me in this. I'm learning from the others. How beautiful. Um, And that really made me happy because I felt like, you know what? If they're learning from each other, who won't learn from this book? Absolutely. Um, And, and, you know, everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. um, And everybody in the book, you know, sort of had something different to add. One thing I love about this book is reading I mean you can either read it like kind of piecemeal like you can pick it up and read one person's essay and really get something from that or if you read it through the comparison between the different essays and the threads that run through them as as we've been talking about all the failures all this all the picking yourself up after having trouble all the successes that came later in life um it just really like strikes you as Mm -hmm. like okay yeah (laughs) everybody goes through this stuff yes yes so last question okay what's your favorite thing that you remember about meeting warren buffett i like how accessible he is as in really he's not he's well you know he is such a legend he is he is such a legend but when you're with him it's just like talking to a regular person about regular things, which is Mm. what we talked about. Um, And it was so relaxed. Like that whole um, vibe he has about being, you know, like just a regular guy from Omaha is the way you feel. You know, his office was not particularly fancy. They let me in his office before he even, you know, got there then he showed up and it was just relaxed it wasn't well of course it was intimidating because he is who he is but it wasn't like walking into some fancy law firm in manhattan with views and you know Mm -hmm. high ceilings and it was just regular and that made you feel comfortable yeah and and that sort of struck me is he a hugger (laughs) 
Did he give you a hug? I do not recall that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Jillian, thank you so much for coming on. You guys, check out her book. It's called Getting There. And as I said, it's a really good either like read it for five minutes and take something from it or read it for two hours and really take something from it um, and check it out. It's on Amazon and everywhere else. Jillian, how can people find out more about you if they want to look you up online? I think LinkedIn's the best place. Cool. Go friend Jillian on yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, if you have a picture, I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice Because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.